You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Sex and relationship advice you can use tonight. Welcome to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. I'm your co-host, Brandon Ware, here with my lovely partner, Dr. Jess. Hey, hey, happy to be here. How are you doing today? I'm great. Hanging I'm in there? feeling great. How are you feeling yeah, for real? Definitely. No, I'm feeling I'm feeling good. I'm feeling inspired. I'm feeling like I've learned a lot the last few days. So that's thanks to the Sex Down South conference, which is a conference down in Atlanta. And you attended a session? I attended a session on uh, polyamory. Uh, the panel was just really discussing their experiences and their their lived experience and challenges and triumphs, if you will, mm-hmm. getting in navigating. Uh, one, the, the gentleman that was presenting discussed his, um, his sexual feelings and how um, his desires is probably a better... Uh, description of what he shared with the group and it was it was interesting it was very very good any takeaways quick ones um you do you you know what i mean like own own your feelings own how you feel and as it always comes back to communicate having those difficult conversations are uh, so fruitful in terms of the results well here to talk about those difficult conversations owning and considering your own power is sex therapist, activist, and speaker Jamila M. Dawson from Los Angeles. Thanks for being here. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you. You are a sex therapist. How did you find your way into this wild field? It is still a wild field. I'm never bored. Um, I started, I used to work in the film industry, and um, the company I was working for was going under, and one day I saw an advertisement on Craigslist. I love Craigslist. Mm-hmm. Uh, for a women-owned and operated adult store, and they were looking for a store clerk. And something in me said, you should just apply, because I'd always been curious about sex, even though my family was rather conservative. And um, started working at the store, and I just fell in love. Fell in love with reading about sex all day, talking about sex, um, helping people. You know, they would come in and seem very ashamed and quiet and their body language was so kind of hunched over and compressed and then they would leave with their shoulders back and a smile on their face and excited and watching that transformation I just um, I fell in love with that. Wonderful and, and you work with a lot of people who either identify as kinky or are interested in BDSM. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. yourself identify as a sub? I would say as an S-type, S-type. Um, like I like MS dynamics, like that's the, so for me it's not, um, like I like very intense authority exchange, okay. um, and that feels like safe and exciting and erotic to me. And is that what it means to be an S-type? Yes, we talk a lot when I'm working with um, really anybody who's kinky, but anybody who wants to talk about power dynamics, there's still this kind of myth that if you're an S-type, if you're a slave or even a submissive, that you're a doormat, that you have no will of your own. And some of the strongest, most creative, most um, powerful people I know are S-types who create things, run things. And um, so that's, and I relate to that all day long. So why would somebody who is so powerful want to be an S-type, want to be a submissive, want to play a slave role? Um, and for a lot of us, like it's not really a role. It is having an authority exchange, meaning you're giving um, 
a sense of sharing authority with somebody of like, I trust you so much and we've negotiated and shared and discussed so much that it feels safe to give you not control, but authority over how we navigate things. But that means that I do research, that I give you my opinion, that everything that I am, all of my skills, all of my passions, all of my experience is now put in service of this person. And to me, when you know that you have value, then you can give that to somebody. If you know you have no value, you've given nothing. And really when it comes to um, good masters and good dominance are looking for a strong person. They're looking for, you know you have something worthwhile and I want to be part of that and amplifying that. Now you talk a lot about power dynamics mm -hmm. in relationships, mm -hmm. in the workplace, mm -hmm. I'm sure in session. Right, because everything particularly I'd say in America, like our entire history is one of misused and implicit power dynamics. And um, as a culture, if we do not start talking about our sick history with power dynamics, we're gonna continue to replicate unhealthy um, interactions. And so what I want more clinicians to be excited about and comfortable about is talking about the power that's in the room, the power that the therapist has, the power that the client has, and then we can start collaborating, creating something. Because the point is not to just get my clients like well to send them back into a sick world. My goal is I want my clients to know how to handle relationships and to create healthy relationships in order to create a healthier world. That's what I want. And so how do we even begin? So for example, in session, where does the power lie when you have a client and a therapist, so somebody who's being paid, mm -hmm. somebody who has letters after their names, mm -hmm. is seen as an expert. How do you navigate that power dynamic? And then maybe the client has some power as well. Right, right, and we can also talk in terms of agency, that while I have an expertise as a clinician, um, I am not an expert on the life of the person. And that I am, what a clinician can do is not to pretend that they don't have power, but to amplify and enhance the power of the client. Tell me about yourself. Tell me about what's happening in your body. Tell me, fill this room with your words, your ideas, your concepts, what is occurring within you. And I will share with that and witness that. And um, I'm always constantly real time, both mirroring and modeling transparent communications with my clients. I'm gonna ask you a question, you don't have to answer that question. Or when I have new clients and they wanna tell me all about their stuff, <laughs> I'm like, you don't know me yet. You don't have to answer questions just because I ask it. What happens if we build a relationship and then you choose to tell me something later or in more depth? And so we're constantly, um, what I call real-time experiencing, like being two humans together. And that um, the clinical part comes with assessment and how I can guide you, but I am—I have an expertise, but I'm not an expert, and we create it. And so how do you deal with the fact that they are sharing all this information with you? There is always a desire among clients to learn more about you. Mm -hmm. There is certainly a divide in the clinical community with uh -huh. regard to self-disclosure. How yes. much should you share? I actually get that to a small degree, even though I'm not seeing people clinically at the moment. On Instagram, they, they'll ask me to share about my own life. Mm -hmm. And there are things that I share, especially on this podcast. If you go back and listen, you'll hear Brandon and I talk about our relationship, about our sexual experiences, adventures, triumphs, disappointments. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the podcast is really the only place I share that with the public. 
uh, because I believe that, you know, people, if you're listening, that, you know, you're supportive, that you may not agree with everything I say, but you see some value in this uh-huh. conversation. Uh-huh. How do you deal with self-disclosure? And I acknowledge that there is no one way to right. do so. And I think smart clinicians and people, sex educators in the field should be discussing, how do I want to navigate disclosure? How do I want to navigate sharing about my life? Um, a lot of clinicians were still taught that like you shouldn't ever disclose, that there's shame in that, that that's unprofessional. Um, but what we need to remember is psychology comes from a very specific context that was a German context, a highly stratified, highly rigid, um, dissociated culture. And we need to be careful of what elements are we taking from that culture and perpetuating. So his model, Freud, I both love and hate, and I have a lot of conversations in my head with him. <laughs> He'd be happy to hear that. <laughs> I re- like, I'm like, oh my God, Freud, you need trauma work. I would love to sit with you and do some somatic trauma work because, dude, something was happening. Um, and so that there's other models of how do you build relationship? Whenever I feel kind of lost, there, my two questions are, I have three, but one is, is this in service of the client? Is this disclosure going to support more of their awareness, more of a sense of safety? Is there another way that I can create that sense of safety by, like if I just give them some empathy of like, oh, I feel that. If I just do that, will that get to it? Or if I'm sharing, as a black woman, I struggle with this, and they're a black woman, and that sense of shared identity opens something. So the question is always like, does this serve the client? Is there another way in? Um, And also, again, because my vision is not about, I want isolated individual wellness. I am after like domestic and international wellness. And that means, if I lived in a village with this person and I had to interact with them, would I not want them to know just a little bit about me? And so those are the kinds of questions that I ask myself of, am I being a human with another human when all is said and done? Or am I being like, I'm therapist and you're client and I'm up here and you're over there. And I will always drift in the angle of like, I need to be a human with a human. Yeah, that seems to be a shift in therapy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And not only considering the roots, but considering the limited research in very limited populations. Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. so much research in with university and college students. Right, predominantly upper middle class, predominantly white, and it, so and prim- predominantly male still. Mm-hmm. Right, right, still we're seeing so. that shift, but it's slow. Right, and so again, who are we studying, and then who, what? Um, assumptions are going into the questions we're even asking. But I remember what what shifted me years ago was um, the meta study that regardless of theoretical orientation, regardless of um, what you believed the greatest predictor of health and wellness for the client was the relationship with the therapist. And ever since that, like, why are we not focusing on the art and science of relationship? To me, that's it. There's nothing else. How do I make you feel comfortable? How do we navigate conflict? What happens because we're coming from a different perspective? What it means to be in relationship? That is what I'm after. Right, and that Mm -hmm. doesn't work if I just see you as this superhuman who has the answers for me, who is perhaps judging me. I can't believe how many people tell me they worry their therapist will judge them. Judging them, so I don't share this critical piece of information. 
And I'm like, then that's not wellness. And what am I modeling if, as a therapist, I'm like, oh, I'm supposed to always have the answers. I'm never supposed to let you know that I'm unsure Mm -hmm. or that I'm freaked out or that Mm -hmm. I'm tired Mm -hmm. or that I have to use the bathroom or any of (laughs) that. You don't pee. Right. We don't pee. We don't drink. With my clients, I'm like, bring in food, bring in water. We can't do therapy if you're thirsty and hungry and like disconnected from Mm -hmm. yourself. And Mm -hmm. neither can I. Right. So um, this new sense, the way that I was trained was heavily somatic, heavily into social justice. And again, the goal is a well society, not just a bunch of individuals who are well because they can afford it. But how do you grapple with that, you know, having a well society when you look outside and things look very broken? Because trying to fix somebody within the confines of your workspace and then sending them out are two very, very different things. So even if you've got a great, you know, a great rapport, everybody's feeling good there, mm-hmm. when they go out and then they interact with their partner or with their coworkers, mm-hmm. how do, what recommendations do you have to help them strengthen those relationships so that that um, healing mm-hmm. that you called it mm-hmm. continues outside of your office? And that's, it goes back to we're going to talk about what are the elements of a great relationship, right? Negotiation, transparency, boundaries, assessment of your safety, learning what your body is telling you so that you can train other people and help other people understand new ways to communicate. Because communication, people are like, I want to learn how to communicate better. You have words, people. You already have words. So if it was just about words, you would have figured it out. But it's actually more about empathy and about being in their body. And that's what I train uh, people around. And then we have what I call scaffolding conversations, which is you're going to start communicating with them differently. How do we help them understand that this is different and the why of it? Like this is literally like grassroots. How do you change culture? You help other people realize that there is one different culture and that you're trying to get them to a different one that benefits everybody. Does that answer your question? Yeah, no, it does. What do you mean? Maybe you could describe in greater detail what you mean mm-hmm. when you say being in your body. I mean, are you talking about the physical sensations or what exactly? All the sensa- do you- yeah, of um, do we know what nervousness feels like? Do we know what excitement feels like? A lot of um, when people have trauma, a lot of times they're frozen and that their body is really either in a loop around like this situation always feels like this and life always feels like this or they're in a state of um, hypervigilance, and so they're always constantly looking for a threat, and so they're never feeling other kinds of data. Data is happening, but they're usually in a frightened place or a frozen place. Do you mean that they're not, like, would you say they're not present? Yeah, that they're not experiencing... Like that hypervigilance or that anxious, mm-hmm. that nervousness, is that Right, that they're kind to... of caught in both, like, the past, like, the present and the past, there's no real distinction. So are you, tr- are you helping people understand the physical sensations of what it means to feel to then strengthen uh, other relationships like would you do that in in your is that an example of what you would do yeah of how do we understand what a trauma response even is because a lot of people have a lot of um shaming around oh i'm always so like vigilant or irritable or angry and it's like those are trauma symptoms the more when i dig like oh, you've had some stuff happen to you, and this is how you cope. Trauma is a coping mechanism. It is um, the body wants to survive, and it will stop doing things or start doing things in order to continue to go. And so once I can help somebody understand what a trauma response is and then how to navigate it and then how to loosen it, 
Like that's, um, and then they can start interacting with their world with different tools. I'm never gonna tell them to get rid of like, it's okay, like I'm vigilant. When I leave my house every day, I am, this culture is traumatizing. And so I will absolutely like be vigilant. And I'm not gonna be afraid of every single thing that happens because I can slow down. Hey, I'm a little anxious right now. Let me look around, let me breathe. Let me find somebody who can help me feel safe but I can slow down my experience in a way that I couldn't years ago. And so I help people do the same thing. Slow down so that you can choose, like take in the data, still be, feel how you feel, but then navigate with clarity, with choice. And that's where the power piece comes in. You're not driven, you're not haunted. You know, you have- And and one way you help people to navigate trauma Mm -hmm. is through sexual pleasure. Right. What does that mean? And I would say, like, sexual pleasure is only one way of doing it. Mm-hmm. What, I, what I'm really after, again, is people layering pleasure into our lives across the board. Like Audre Lorde, um, The Power of the Erotic essay is one of my favorite essays of all time. Everybody should read it. The Erotic is Power by Audre Lorde. And um, she talks about when we live from a place of the erotic, which is not sexual, it can be, but the erotic is when we feel alive. When you look at a painting and there's that thing that happens in your body where you're like, ah, or when you see a movie and you're like talking about it and you're jazzed or when you're playing sports, you're eating amazing food. Those, both of you kind of like rolled your eyes and like pleasure, like we know what pleasure feels like. And the more that we can pay attention to that and then call in that and layer that into our lives, the more alive we'll be. And then the more alive we'll be when we're having sex, we won't switch from, oh, I have to be dissociated and rigid and in this like scared place, I'll know what pleasure feels like because I recognize it and it's layered into my everyday existence. And so if there's something I do, that's really what it is. I appreciate that differentiation between pleasure and sexual pleasure Mm -hmm. because I think even the word pleasure scares people Yeah, because we live in this erotophobic culture. And so when you talk about experiencing pleasure on the whole whether it's something you eat for breakfast or the feeling of your bed sheets around right. you or the sound Get bed sheets that feel good to you <laughs> or what are scents that make you ha- a lot of times with my clients like what scents do you like mm-hmm. what colors make you happy what textures a lot of times people don't know right because we don't consider pleasure and i think it's partly because we move through life with a mindlessness. Mm -hmm. And so this to me, what you're describing, navigating sexual trauma through all sorts of pleasure, including sexual pleasure, Mm -hmm. it sounds to me like it's a practice of mindfulness rooted in the five senses. Yes. You also described what I would describe as emotional presence, being Mm -hmm. able to say, okay, at this moment in time, I feel nervous. And that nervousness shows up in my body with a little bit of a faster heartbeat. Mm -hmm. Maybe I feel a little bit sweaty. Um, Maybe I'm not really feeling grounded. I'm a little bit shaky. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that being okay, because again, so often people are like, oh, that's bad that I'm shaky. Like, get it together. Like, and I'm like, no, 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 no. I want to, what if we slowed that down? What if we said, just breathe with it? Like, I am nervous right now. Okay, heart rate. Let a shared, a, a loved person, know that or if you're in a unfamiliar or unsafe environment then just like you can tell yourself that one of my tricks with clients is um talk to yourself the way you would to you know if you like 
kittens or if you like puppies, like how would you talk to them, right? We wouldn't use big words. I'd be a lunatic. <laughs> I'd, I'd be like, how are you doing? Yes. You know what I mean? If I talk yes. to myself that way, I might actually freak myself out. But I, but I, I would, would. Why don't I you try smile. that for, but you have a smile on your face. And what would it be like if we talked to ourselves in this like gentle, enthusiastic, supportive way? Because I do. I now I'm like, hey, self, like, how are we feeling? Are we a little like tired? Do we need something like and it changes what you have access to. But I feel as as a man, I'm a white guy Mm -hmm. in my 40s and I'm owning this. But, you know, there's something about this language that you have to I've had to overcome Mm -hmm. where I'm like, this isn't. Hokey pokey. This isn't, you know what I mean. It's right, like namby pamby week it, it, or like yeah, this like whatever. You know, a lot of what we've been talking about lately on these po- on the podcast is you know talking about vulnerability and and just being open and and the power that comes with that. Mm-hmm. But as I listen to you talk about you know understanding how you're feeling, I've been there. Like I've been there where you know I'm out in public and I have this overwhelming wave of anxiety that mm-hmm. just comes over you. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. the first thing that I want to do is I want to I want to I want to leave. Yeah. I'm like, oh my god, you know, it's like, am I going to pass out? Is something going on? Like, mm-hmm. what's happening with me? And then, of course, all these layers start coming, you know, start showing themselves. Where it's like, uh-huh. have to be strong, have to be, you know, you can work through that. Right. And power like, through it. Power get through. it together. Yeah. You know. Mm-hmm. And listen, I have air quotes, powered through, but that has come with implementing some of these strategies that you just mentioned. Mm -hmm. It's grounding yourself, Mm -hmm. it's breathing through it, it's understanding, it's not not judging myself, right? right? Just being like, hey man, this is what's going on, Mm -hmm. you're going to deal with it, it's Mm going to be like, it's going to be okay, Mm -hmm. you're going to take a moment, you're just going to take a deep breath, you're going to analyze your surroundings, Mm -hmm. and... Mm -hmm. You've got help if you need it. Right. Because and all I'll tell of that, you- that, what everything you said is something that a really good coach would say, something you would say to a child that you're like coaching to try to do something. Like if the kitten puppy thing doesn't work for you, then how would you talk to a small child? Like who can function, but you're not trying to freak them out of like, relax, kid. Like you're <laughs> or- being... Firm but gentle. Yeah, and also knowing that it's the idea that I think if if in need, if somebody turned to me that I didn't know, an Mm -hmm. absolute stranger on the street, on the streetcar, anywhere, and said, I'm really struggling right now. Like, I just need to talk to somebody for 30 seconds or five minutes. I I would say to them, hey, man, let's sit down Mm -hmm. and let's take a deep breath. And let's just t- and let's walk. Well, you're through Canadian. This. Yeah, no, uh, I, mean, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, hopefully, that. I would have the time. No, but I think the human to human element. The human element, to human. If somebody came to me and was Powerful. in need and expressed that vulnerability, mm-hmm. right, where it's like, mm-hmm. I just need somebody now for a minute. It's hard to turn your back on that person. Right. But I think when you're in the moment, it's hard to think that somebody's going to help you. Right, and that's that's the struggle, right? And that's why we need. The more that we can practice this and the more we become a culture that is like, no, I'm going to slow down a little bit. There's, I can just be a human. I don't have to have fancy words. I just need to be with this person and usually just listen, you know, the more we can do that, that's some powerful stuff. And I think we need to overcome our our fear of rejection because the reason you don't turn to someone on the bus is that you don't want to be judged. You're nervous. They're going to roll their eyes and you're nervous. They're going to move away. 
because you uh-huh. might be seen as unstable. And that, right, that because is, I need. And well, and that's yeah. intensified depending on your age, depending on your right. gender. Right, race, your gender. Race, your body type, your appearance, yeah. all of those, your, your perceived class. Right. All of those intersections affect how people respond to you. Right. So for me, for example, I'm always dressed up. Uh, I'm white looking. I'm young, youngish, <laughs> young looking, white looking, looking, not so young, not so white, but people respond differently to me mm-hmm. than I even notice how they respond to my mother, right. who's a little bit older, mm-hmm. um, maybe not always as dressed up, mm-hmm. she's brown, and mm-hmm. all of those factors affect our, not only our perceived safety, but our real our safety. Actual, yeah. And so that's something you have to consider when you are going to maybe reach out human to human. But I was thinking that in all of this, Brandon talked about you know being out in public and feeling overwhelmed, mm-hmm. feeling anxious. Mm-hmm. He's able to label it. He knows what he feels in his body, which I think is such a big step. It's a huge step. To, to be it's able to huge. describe an emotion in your physical response right. is a really excellent tool for everybody to try, even right now where you are, to think about how are you feeling in this moment and how does right. that show up in your body? Can you describe it? Right. And describe it with colors, describe yeah. it with temperatures, describe it with shapes. Like don't, I call it like, don't go adult with it. Yeah. Don't do SAT word with it. Love that. Just the way that we were before we really understood language and before we use language to obscure meaning, like just go with like, oh, it tickles or it feels tight or it feels, um, I can't feel it, it's so big. Like those, that's you getting, that's somatic language. I love that so much. And I wanted to add a layer to that based on the work you do around pleasure. I was thinking that in that moment when Brandon's feeling that way, and I use Brandon, but we've all felt that way. Mm -hmm. Is there a way to use pleasure to ground ourselves, bring us back to the present, lessen or attenuate the effects of that anxiety? Because you can't chase the anxiety away. Right, we can't. And that's why um, kind of what led to my work around pleasure was you can't really get rid of trauma. Like you can reduce some symptoms, but it is this this kind of like negative force. It's It's an absence. And so you can't work with that. You can only work with something more active. And so that led me like, what is the the opposite of shame? Well, shame is usually a deep sense of isolation. Okay, well then connection is the opposite of that. Hmm. And again, trauma is a stuckness, it's a frozenness, it's a endless loop where you can't take in new things. Well, what is the opposite of that? Pleasure, which is dynamic and moving and shifting and highly contextual and alive. And now. And now. Right, you can't really right. you don't feel pleasure, pleasure in the, in the past. past. Right, you feel it right now in this very moment. And so the things, um, and sometimes pleasure is the absence of some pain or the reduction of pain. And so I'll talk with my clients about that. Sometimes it's, I need to get away from things, give myself permission to get away from things. Um, it is, I need to, um, like I tell people like, drink water, take a shower, um, again, find scents that feel yummy to you. Um, usually soft foods we can go to kind of a young place with trauma and so i'm like Hmm. it's okay to like have soft foods things that are comforting like um one of my favorite colors is fuchsia i will always have something fuchsia near me or on me Hmm. my lip gloss is gone but it's fuchsia um but how into my daily life and into the work with my clients is feel good right and what are the things that slow down be in your your world what makes you feel good? Right, and so we often use the take four deep breaths when you're feeling anxious, but mm-hmm. I like this approach that you're describing. Mm-hmm. Look for 
one of the five senses that gives you pleasure right. in that moment. Like you made me think of a soft serve ice cream mm. because I, I really like food. I'm really into food. It certainly affects my mood. Uh-huh. Um, I've never, I don't deprive myself of food. I don't mm-hmm. live under the model that I can only put good things that right, have been deemed unquote. good mm-hmm. into my body. I eat for pleasure. There you go. And people often ask like, well, how do you, how do you stay fit or how do you stay healthy? And I mean, mm. of course, health is a social construct. Right. Cause that's but, a whole other, <laughs> right. But part of how I stay healthy, I think is that there is no deprivation. Right, you're not putting yourself in a binary, and that too is a trauma response of there's only this or this. Right. It can only be good or bad, right. black or white, you know, I'm healthy or not healthy, I'm a good girl or bad girl. Mm-hmm. And no, when there is choice, right, when mm-hmm. I, I choose the thing that I want right My now, your body is like, oh, we got the thing. Yeah. I don't need to have six ice cream cones on a so-called cheat day, right? Right, And I know there are people who are going to say that, you know, part of it is my genetics, and I absolutely acknowledge that. But that plays a factor. Yeah, of course. But I just want to leave people with a few ways to seek pleasure right now. So, yeah, you can go masturbate. Yeah, you can grab your vibrator. You can ask your partner to sit on your face. But a a little bit simpler than that, (laughs) where would you suggest people seek out pleasure to Hmm. reduce not just trauma, but anxiety, because that's something we all experience. Right. Um, I would say, again, look in your life and where, you know, if I ask you, like, what are your favorite colors? And I will say colors. I will always ask questions with plurals in them. Mm. So, again, I don't want to drive, like, that there's one answer, because mm-hmm. that's very American, right, of, like, there's just the one way, the right. win, the thing. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what are your favorite colors? Where are they in your life? How can we bring more of that into your life? Um, I love fire, meaning like, you know, can is there a candle that you want to light? Is there, um, you know, when was the last time you had some sunshine and you just sat? And I don't care if it's for 30 seconds, like just be in the sunshine. Can you count how many shades of green? are outside Ooh, i love that um that's, that's one of my so favorite grounding, things to do to catch yeah. it sounds and like i just you're... get blown away i'm just like there's a lot of green here <laughs> if that's not accessible Is it money? to you <laughs> yeah right and it's like I, I definitely want that like more of that green more of that green um as, and trying to find things that are uh they don't have to pay for yes i love that to have access to so one thing um i love when my clients learn how like exfoliation like if you get some olive oil and some sugar and you exfoliate your hands, the difference in how your hands feel, and then as you touch yourself or oh. the world around you changes. I've never exfoliated, exfoliated oh, I exfoliate my hands. at least once a week. Oh I my God. It. I do my body, but I've never done my hands. hands. It sounds like you're often bringing it back to the physical. Absolutely. To the five senses. Right. And this is where we started, right, right. in life, right. experiencing the five senses. And what a great way to ground yourself right. and Oftentimes, Your body is the site of trauma, but it is a site right. of healing. It's a site of anxiety, right. but it is, it is the site of it begins and ends there. In the sense of, this is how we can know things. This is how we can grow. This is it. Right. You know what a powerful thing. And how can you possibly experience sexual pleasure if you're not experiencing pleasure throughout life? And in a, right. in a world, and especially a culture in the West, where we stifle the expressions of pleasure, we don't Love sip her. a wine and go. Mm. I mean, we don't bite into a fried chicken sandwich, well, some of us do, mm. and make moaning sounds. Right. Uh, we, I mean, I use food because that's where I go. But even if, just oh, yes. the beauty, like, for example, 
looking at why do we look at little kitten or puppy or baby videos Mm -hmm. it's Mm -hmm. because we want that visual Mm -hmm. escape that makes us feel something so the five senses are physical but they lead to the emotional right and part of this is about pleasure and 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 a really i think innovative way to overcome and navigate trauma so thank you so much for sharing oh you're welcome it was wonderful conversations great to be here and share i love it thank you so we're going to link to your website where can people find you jamiladawson.com is my website and then um on instagram i'm jamila d sex therapy awesome thank you so much for being here thanks babe thank you thank you both i gotta go get some photos and colors on my phone or something yes you're pretty responsive to colors even though you're colorblind for the greens and grays no but you <laughs> you're yeah. responsive right. you find the colors other... and i'm like yeah as long as it's not gray and green right we'll find some other <laughs> colors and like light up your life yeah <laughs> thank you both thank you for listening thank you to our sponsor desire experience check them out on all social media we'll be back next friday and every friday with a whole new episode You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Improve your sex life. Improve your life.